want us just to take a moment of quiet. And there's nothing spiritual about this right now. It's just because my oldest daughter and son-in-law and three kids under the age of five moved into our house on Wednesday. (laughs) Some of you know that. House sells and the other one's not ready yet. What is... No, I'm just kidding. It's great. But if you don't want to pray for strength and patience for me, I'll take it. As was prayed in pre-service prayer, Jason, led in prayer for what's happening in our world, and we continue just to lift up hurting people, a broken world, to God. To God. Hard to understand sometimes, eh? People's choices and the brokenness. And, but for a time, as we look around in our world, you know, I, I remember Dad, many years ago, preaching the, the, the imminence of the Lord's return. That means it could happen at any time. And every day since Jesus returned to heaven, this isn't the message, by the way. Every day, every day since Jesus returned to heaven, we're one day closer to being with him for eternity. And to what we see, some, some of what we see um, in Scripture, in prophecy, and, and things going on. And uh, it, 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 we don't want to set dates. We don't want to say, well, it's going to be, ne-, you know, and people have done that. Some of you know that. And that date has come and gone, and that date has come and gone. And then it, it just contributes to the lack of credibility in the church. But Jesus said, as you see these signs, read Matthew 25. There's There's signs. And, and we see a ramping up of them, I believe. And, and Jesus, in all of that, says, well, he says, don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. Just be ready. Be walking with Christ. Be ready. And, he says, occupy till I come. Be about my work. Sharing, showing and sharing and loving people by sharing the good news message so that they are also ready for eternity. Occupy till I come. So God, help us to do that. Help us to do that with every day you give us life. Bring your peace to situations and to people. In Jesus' name, amen. And open our hearts to your word today. We've called this Faith Expansion Sunday because... Periodically, uh, and if you've been around Eaglemont Church, you know this, that we want to focus uh, occasionally on the future facility expansion, which is part of our overall mission these days. And I'm, I'm sharing an abbreviated message now uh, about expanding our faith. And a little later, uh, Harvey Realton, one of our pastor's council leaders and director of the Faith Expansion Capital Campaign team, will share some thoughts from the book of Nehemiah. From the very beginning of this journey of saving funds for facility expansion, we've said that the timing is up to God, and it must be. It must never be pressure from a human leader or manipulation. Or, I, don't want, I don't want any of that. I genuinely, as, as our leadership does, as so many of you do in this, want God's 
timing. We want God to lead us in all things as a church, including the timing and details of building expansion. And we've sensed his leading thus far over the years. We believe that. I find it exciting that the characteristics of passion for spiritually lost people to come to Christ and generosity to to reach them, were stamped on the DNA, stamped into the DNA of this church from the very beginning in 2006, in the fall of 2006. Christian businessman Fred Tawn, who is now with Jesus, donated the land upon which this building sits. And over the years, I mean, that's very humbling. That's exciting. And, and, and over the years, the giving of God's people who call Eagle Mount Church their, their, their church family, contributing to the mission, praying, uh, praying uh, serving, giving, and those outside our church family. Even already this year, as I understand it, people that God put us on their heart, not a part of our church family, but given to the mission. It's just... It's, 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 like I said, very humbling and exciting. Second phase of this building is always part of the original vision. In 2015, we had an important congregational vote with a strong quorum. Uh, and then we had a 90, 90% yes vote to move forward into an unknown time frame of saving funds for this expansion. And in all of this, again, I'm so grateful that the motivation of our leadership has always been to see a facility used as a tool. Uh, yes, a, a, a pretty big tool, but a tool to reach people for Christ on into the future. And that, that came out in our pre, pre-service prayer time as well this morning. I, I, I love that. In one of our planning, early planning meetings years ago, Harvey, again, who's going to share in a, in a little later, uh, he shared a foundational reminder with us when he said, it's not about us, and, and nothing in the church is really. Yes, there's discipleship, there's encouragement we receive, and we must, that's body life, but we understand what we're saying. It, it's not about us, it's, it's about them. And then he shared an acrostic based on the word them, T. It's for trusting God to lead and provide. H, for heart, growing a heart for God and for spiritually lost people. E, for expansion. M, for mission, always keeping it about the mission of Jesus to reach people that don't yet know him and disciple them. That's good. That's so good. As our capital consultant years ago, David Hazard, reminded us, he said, we serve a bigger God than the size of this project. Marlowe has to remind himself of that sometimes. For a church family our size, this is a, a very big project. But we serve a God who's bigger than the size of this project. David Hazard reminded us that there are times when God calls us outside of our comfort zone in order to grow our trust in Him. And and this doesn't mean that difficulties and hindrances and roadblocks won't come in the process, but but God just reminds us, as He did in Hebrews 11.6, about all of life, that without faith it's impossible to please God. Pastor and author Chip Ingram writes, if you're playing it safe and staying away from the scary edge of faith, you, you won't ultimately please God by fulfilling his purposes for you. That's a, 
That's quite a statement. Then he adds, remember, where there's no risk, there's no faith. Where there's no faith, there's no power or joy or intimacy with God. And those are some significant things that it's possible to miss out on. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, we're unwise or we're reckless in decision making and so forth. But it just means that, it just means that we need to really discern God's voice of direction every step of the way. And I can tell you, standing up here with integrity and honesty before you, that our council leaders from the very beginning have always had that as the desire and spiritual MO in their lives. I've, I've witnessed it, and it's been thrilling. It's been, it's been so great. A, a desire to genuinely discern God's leading, and that hasn't changed. And, and we need to continue to do that as a church family. And the prayer piece, individually and collectively, is, is, is so vital in discerning that, God's voice. And then, once we discern and know in the very simplest of things and the biggest of things, once we discern and know what we believe to be God's, God's voice of direction, it's contingent on us to, to obey, right? To obey. That could be asking that coworker, hey, I know you're going through a tough time and they know you're a Christian. You just come to them simply and say, hey, can I, can I be praying for you about something specifically? Is there something you'd, you'd want to just trust me with? Can I, can I be praying for you? Obeying God's leadership in, in the little things, the big things. Otis elevators. It's actually the elevator braking system that Elisha Otis invented that made modern skyscrapers possible. And I shared this little illustration years ago. Otis elevators began to sell much quicker after he put together a creative uh, exhibition or, or, a, or a creative sales pitch for an exhibition uh, back in 1854. Kids, I wasn't around then. Shortly after, but, but, but missed out on that one. Otis would step onto his apparatus and give the order for his assistant to cut the rope and the crowd held their breath as the elevator plummeted. The brake system would kick in and the elevator would come to a stop and Otis announced as he got off the machine, all safe, and he was grateful as well. Well, he sold his first three elevators there for $300 each, $300 each, New York City, Today has, they say, over 70,000 of them. Well, how did Otis's faith display itself? You know it. He, he got onto the elevator. Of course, the illustration breaks down because mechanical things, uh, you know, those devices fail sometimes. Human beings fail. But God never fails. Never. We just always need to be sure we're hearing his voice of direction clearly, as I said already, which, which isn't always easy. I doubt it's any easier for me than, than for you. Oh, yes, we can learn and grow in discerning his whisper. So after years of, of, of trying, honestly, you know, there, there, it, it does, I believe, become easier. But it's not always easy. It's another biblical discussion for another time. 
God wants to remind us that our life as Christ followers is a faith walk. And Paul said it clearly in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. And, and biblically, we see uh, faith expansion uh, in, in a variety of, of, of ways. Uh, faith grows when we go through trials in a, and difficulties in a trusting posture, as hard as that is. James 1, read it. If you're going through the ringer right now and, and you want to trust God, read James 1 this afternoon, okay? Little chapter in a little book near the end of the New Testament. Faith grows in the midst of uh, a financial challenge where we give God the opportunity to provide miraculously as we obey Him in New Testament giving, proportionate and generous to the work of His church. Some of you have lived that. I've heard your stories. It's awesome. Another aspect is that faith can grow when we obey what we believe God has called us to do, even when we don't see results. We've come to learn that God is at work. We've talked about this in leadership meetings, in pastoral meetings. Maybe you've talked about this in your small group. We're, we're, yeah. That situation was a good reminder that God was at work in that person's heart. I saw no evidence of it for years or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, there's an openness to the things of God in my family member's life or, or, or whatever it is. I've come to learn that God is at work even when I can't see it. A story that powerfully, I believe, illustrates this is about American missionary Adoniram Judson, who arrived in Burma, now Myanmar, in 1812. I'm just pulling from history, you know? Everything's from 1800s, is it? Uh, he died. Uh, he died. <laughs> Sick. Um, he died there in Burma at 38 years after arriving. And during his time there, he suffered a lot for the cause of the gospel. He was tortured. He was imprisoned. His, his first wife, Anne, died in that country. And at that time, he was so depressed. Uh, he sat by her grave site every day for three years. Three years later, he wrote, God is... To me, the great unknown. Here's a missionary crossing great distance to take the gospel to people. And here he is over there after a bunch of years. God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I cannot find him. Honest and difficult words. But Judson's faith sustained him and he threw himself again into the task to which he knew God had called him of translating the Bible for the Burmese people. When missionary Judson died, there were, they say, somewhere between 12 and 25 Christ followers in that nation and, and no churches to speak of. <laughs> but fast forward 150 years, the translation the, the, the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Burmese language Bible. And a guy named Paul Borthwick was the speaker. Addressing a crowd in that country who were celebrating Judson's work decades earlier. 
just before Borthwick got up to speak, he noticed in small print on the first page of one of the Bibles the words translated by Reverend A. Judson. Borthwick turned to his interpreter and said, What do you know of this man, Judson? <laughs> the interpreter began to weep as he said, What we know of him? Not a whole lot, but we know he loved the Burmese people. We, we know how he suffered for the gospel because of us and, and out of love for us. That interpreter said he, he died with nothing but left the Bible for us. When, when he died, the interpreter continued the little story, there were, there were very few believers, but today there are 600,000 of us, and every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage and spiritual roots to this man, missionary Adoniram Judson. And then the interpreter said, but Judson never saw any of this. Oh, maybe God allowed him a window back in what was happening on earth, right? You don't know, but wow. All those years of faithful serving and nothing, nothing, virtually nothing. 600,000 come to Christ because Judson went obediently through pain and suffering and challenge and did the work of translating that God had called him to for those people. Powerful. And that will be the case for some of us. And yet no matter what we see or don't see, God is a God on mission. And he invites his followers to be on mission with him. God the Father was on mission when he sent Jesus to come to earth for, to die for us. Jesus was on mission when he came voluntarily. He was on mission when he said in John 10, I've come to give you life to the full. Here and now and eternity. The Holy Spirit is on mission. Acts 1.8, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to witness effectively for Jesus. And as Christ followers, we're on Jesus' mission to go and make disciples, as he said in Matthew 28. God wants his church to grow with new spiritual life and nothing can stand. Nothing can stand in the way of this. The gates of hell, the Bible says, cannot not even, not even COVID can derail the mission of Jesus. I hope that we all have faith that the Church of Jesus and specifically Eaglemont Church will increasingly grow into a, a vibrant, a God-honoring, loving, faith-filled, gospel-declaring, people-reaching body of Christ. Increasingly so. Because that is our heart. It's the heart of many of you. And I'm inspired by your own witness in your lives. Over the last year or so, there are some so-called church experts who've written about what the church would, you know, will, will look like in the future. And of course, there are, of course there are, I don't mean that term disrespectfully, because none of us are experts. But there are, there are, there are things. They're, they're writing about things that, that will change and have changed. And much of... Much of what I read is there's, there's truth to it and change about how we communicate and all, all kinds of things in an effort to reach people. 
But I agree, and I shared this comment a while back with our council. I, I, I agree with a comment. It resonated, a comment resonated with me that American pastor and author Erwin McManus shared that the church of Jesus, which is his people gathered, will never die. It will, I guess, dissolve and the need for what we know in the body of Christ today will be different once we're all in heaven. Of course, not talking about that. But, but I like what McManus expressed on a, on a Kerry Newhoff podcast a few months ago. It was a refreshing and encouraging and a hopeful comment in response to, again, some opinions floating around out there that large gatherings may be a thing of the past. In response, McManus said, humans don't need perfect experiences. They need authentic, transparent human experiences. We long for that communal dynamic. And he gives three illustrations. Where we cheer together for the home team, or where we worship with hundreds of others who are singing the same words, or where we experience live music with thousands of other people who feel the same emotion we do in that moment. He says that desire to celebrate and bond over shared experiences is knit into us by God. I believe it. I believe what we see of the, of the functioning of the body of Christ in the New Testament bears that out. And again, COVID can't change that. And I share that because the reality of the body gathered together is certainly a part of God's vision for His church. Because the body of Christ gathered honors God and strengthens one another within the body. From the very beginning of our expansion adventure, we've asked everyone who calls Eaglemont their church family, and you'll see this on the screen, to genuinely and simply pray, Heavenly Father, what are you asking me to do? financially in support of this vision, above and beyond my regular giving. Because as we've said from the very beginning, and I remember almost the, the Sunday that I said it, and it's, it's not about what I said, it's the heart of, of the mission of the church and the leaders. We, we, we're, we're not stopping ministry to, to, do, to do this. We're not stopping giving to missions outside our own mission to, to do this. We, we can't, we mustn't. And so thus the reference to over and above our regular giving. That each one who calls Eaglemont their home church, their, their church family, would just, would just genuinely take this prayer to God, speak it from the heart and listen. And, and, and maybe step out and lean into the whisper of the Holy Spirit in this as we look to the future. Listen and obey. And, and many of you have. Some of you have not yet even heard this request. But it's been the request since we began this journey of saving funds back in 2015. You, you need to know. There's going to be a forthcoming no date set, but uh, Commitment Sunday, as we might call it, or has, have called it, hoping, hoping sometime this spring where we'll have the opportunity to bring together, as we have done before, the, the, the giving commitments, the, the, the new 
life-giving commitments that God has led us to make individually. And your faith may be stretched in that conversation with God, but that's not only okay, that's a good thing. Where God leads you, he'll provide as you obey. Well, we're almost there. After seven years of planning, saving, wondering, we're finally at a point now where we're going to get some answers. And we just might be in a position where we might be breaking ground out here in the next couple of months, possibly. Think about that for a second. All this time, all of a sudden, this might happen in a couple of months. It sounds exciting. It's also kind of scary, is it not? When you actually think about it, you plan and save, and all of a sudden, when everything actually comes to it, are, are we really ready? As well, when you put on top of that the the fallback of what's happened with COVID restrictions, the increase of inflation that's threatening us at every turn. The biggest conflict in Europe since World War II is upon us. Is it going to draw us in with our NATO commitments? All these things come sitting down on top of us, and you, what you get is construction mixing with fear. And you know what? That's a real powerful combination, isn't it? But construction and fear have been best friends for a long, long time. I don't know any construction experience that doesn't have anxiety and unknowns and fears wrapped in, in it. And if you've had any experiences with it yourself in building a home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is as old as mankind ourselves, or human beings ourselves. Whenever there's been construction, there's always been anxiety and fear, and that was no different in the Old Testament. 2,600 years ago, the people of Israel were in exile. They lost the city of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar broke it down. And a remnant came back to rebuild the temple. It was under a lot of stress and fear. And it took them 20 years to build it, but they did it because it wasn't about the construction build. It was about the people recommitting themselves to the Lord. It's a nation. It was a huge thing. And they had success. 70 years, by the time that was completed, it marked the 70th anniversary of the initial exile, of the initial destruction of the temple, and now it was rebuilt. But the problem was, there was an ongoing threat of invasion from the neighboring nations that didn't really like them rebuilding the temple. They didn't have a wall of protection around the city, a literal wall that would safeguard them so that they could worship with a sense of security and a sense of consistency in their nation. It was a major impediment, and they were living in fear of annihilation day after day after day, and that continued for another 70 years. And then we come to the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one of the exiles, and he had some gifts. He was basically the right-hand man of the most powerful person on earth, King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. He was his personal bodyguard in a way, and he trusted him. And anyways, Nehemiah's heart was very committed to the Lord. So when he found out from others what was going on in Jerusalem, because it didn't have the internet, news traveled kind of slow, he finally found out how bad the situation really was there. It wasn't just that the temple was rebuilt, and that was great, but it was incomplete because they needed a wall because of this threat of annihilation. Nehemiah went through a moment of reform at that moment, a call of worship. It says in the Bible that Nehemiah went to a time of weeping and fasting and praying. 
asking God to forgive the nation, forgive himself of his own sins. Because he saw that the wall not being built was God holding back his blessing on the people. And it cut him to the heart. He goes, God, please, you got to do something. And it took months. And then something happened. The king actually looked at Nehemiah and goes, what's the matter with you? You look upset. And God used that as an opportunity to bless him, to give him favor. He made him the governor now of Palestine. He gave him his authority. He gave him resources to go back and complete the vision of building a wall. The vision wasn't about the wall. The vision was the protection of the people so they they could come back and worship the Lord properly. That's what it was about. And he went to Jerusalem at that time. You know, for us, we have God's blessing too. Think about this. This church was initially built with no people and no congregation, and yet here we are. The debt that was at that time was erased quite quickly at the same time. God's blessing. A 90% vote to begin this process years ago is another great blessing of God. And now we've almost raised $5 million towards the project. That is a miracle of itself, there's no way we should have been able to do it, but God has blessed and has given us favor. There's something similar between us and Nehemiah. What happened with Nehemiah next? Well, he gets to Jerusalem, and guess what? Nothing happens. You know why? Because he never told anybody about the vision he had in his heart. He waited. He wanted to do a technical look around and do a reconnaissance of the city. And he waited. And in that process of time, nothing happened. Why? Because Nehemiah never shared the vision yet. At that time, the vision was not everyone's. Do you think Nehemiah could have built that wall by himself? No. Do you think we're going to be able to build this church and expand the facility with just a simple majority? No. We need to pull together and catch that vision to collectively together. Not just for those who have been here since the beginning, but even for you who are just new to the church. This is your vision too for the future as we pull ourselves together. When Nehemiah shared that vision with the people, they went, you're right. Let's go and we build the wall. And they started to do the work with all their hearts because the vision wasn't just Nehemiah's anymore. It was their own. Can you hear that? How important that is. What happened next? Trouble. Lots of trouble. I don't know about you, but construction, it can be painful. It was no less difficult for them at that time. The very first thing was the very size of the project itself. The size of the project was immense. It's even a mega project even today. The wall was four kilometers long, four stories high, and two and a half meters thick, made out of solid limestone. 300,000 metric tons of rock that they're going to now place in there by hand. Think about that. We have construction figured out because of all the technology and all the mechanics that we have to make construction happen. Back then, they had None of those things. How can we even begin to appreciate that environment? I used to frame houses with my cousin years ago, and of course we had all the tools that we have today, and we take it for granted. Yes, we worked hard, but I think I understand how hard they actually worked in the ancient days on one specific day. He had a steel beam, I was helping him, and we needed to lift it into position to help support the main floor. 
but it's only a single beam. So to call a crane to come and lift one little beam into place kind of was cost prohibitive. So he's lamenting. So I said to him, I got an idea. We can do it ourselves. The two of us? I went, yeah. And I think we can do it in about two hours. And he's like, it's 550 pounds. I said, no problem, we can do it. And I made this plan, and it sounded really good, but it really wasn't. And for some silly reason, he agreed to it. And to make a long story short, it took us the rest of the day. It took another plumber, another laborer, and I think another guy. And the five of us worked on it all day long to finally get that silly beam into place. We wrecked the entire day. And all we needed to do was call a crane operator, and literally we could have had that being placed during our coffee break. The crane was 40 times more effective, 40 times faster, and 40 times more efficient than us doing it by hand. It gave a picture for me how the ancients did it. And at the end, it costed my cousin even more money because of all that labor. He eventually forgave me, but the point is, it was the worst idea I've ever came up with, but really it's still his responsibility. It's his job. He should have known better than to listen to me in the first place. That's what I say. But that day I learned on a first-hand basis that there's a big difference in how we handle construction now than how they did it in ancient times before the Industrial Revolution. How do they do it? With lots and lots of people and with lots and lots of time. The Cathedral of Notre Dame took 1,000 workers 182 years. Obviously not by the same 1,000 people, of course. But that's how it was done. The great story is the Great Wall of China. Laboring up to 300,000 people at times and took a complete number of 2,000 years to complete and ultimately involved millions and millions of people. Of course, that's an extreme situation, but nonetheless, it drives home for us that their construction problems were massive on top of the fact that there's rubble everywhere. It was an impossible labyrinth. The work environment was impossible. It was moonscaped on top of it, and you needed to have in ancient times people and time, and they didn't have enough of either. It says that Nehemiah looked down on the, on the job and he realized how spread out it was. It looked like there's hardly anybody working, even though they had thousands of people. There was an immense project. It looked like there's very few people working. And they didn't have time because the neighboring nations around them started heckling them. You ever, see, you ever hear the story when you, when you go diving? Um, I wasn't planning to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. They say, one of the worst things you want to run into when you're diving is a great white shark. And a great white shark, as the movies would say, they come after you. They don't do that. They circle first. All of a sudden, you see him here. All of a sudden, he's there. And he keeps on tightening his circle over and over. You know you're in trouble when it seems like he's going around you because he really is, and he's tightening his circle. That's what it was like for them. These nations that came around them were tightening their circle. They came with threats. They came with heckling, and at the end, they planned to actually invade them. So Nehemiah now had to cut his forces in half, his labor force in half, and allowing them to do half of their job was to take care of the other guys while they're working, give them protection, and then they switch opportunities of working back and forth between security and work. It 
slowed down the project. In fact, it probably should have even stopped it. But what actually happened, God did the impossible and did something that could not have been done by anybody else. God allowed them to complete the work in 52 days in the ancient world. That's massive. For you and I, when we think about something like that, we can maybe appreciate it from a distance how they did things back then, but to do it in 52 days. For those people that saw that, those enemies, for them, that was watching the Red Sea part in front of them. There's no way that they should have been able to build a, a stone wall four kilometers long with the height and the width and the weight and all the problems that they had with such few people. It should have been measured in years, and they did it in 52 days. Nehemiah says this, as he observed the enemies of, of the people, what, how they reacted to him, they said this, when all our enemies heard about this, the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized the work had been done by the help of our God. It was a miracle. There is no other example, no other explanation as to why that could have happened. What is the take-home message for us? And Pastor Marl has been alluding to it in what he's just spoken. And it's simply this, to the life of Nehemiah, is that we can do the impossible if we obey the Lord and follow his plan. We can do the impossible. That is something that will happen in your own life. That can happen with us collectively. If we are in God's plan, and we follow him, and we obey him, it doesn't matter what the adversities are, the challenges are, or how much fear we might have, or the lack of answers that we have. But if I can just trust the Lord to do what he wants me to do, he will take care of the rest. That is the most important lesson in Nehemiah. And that can apply to us here in construction or anything else. Let's just trust the Lord and take it one step at a time. And the most important thing for us to do is know the very heart and will of the Lord. Not to move too fast and not to move too slow. And when the Lord makes that clear to us as information comes and we follow that directive, God's going to do great things. Amen? Amen. It was a little weak, but I know you're with me. Okay. The second thing is, is vision. Vision is not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be shared. It is for all of us to carry this burden and the vision of what we're doing here. And it actually means something. So what is that vision? Is it about building a bigger facility? No. Is it about raising enough funds to pay everything off? No. They're important, and we're going to be talking a lot about it more as we come into the weeks ahead, but that's not the vision. The vision is that we commit ourselves to the Lord ourselves and grow closer to Him through this opportunity. The vision that we have is that we see people who do not know Christ come back to Him and fill those seats in a new auditorium in a way that you and I can't possibly answer right now. But God has given us this opportunity, and we need to follow through with it in his timing and his keeping. That's the vision. That's the impossibility of it. Yes, we can build, and yes, we can raise funds, but I can't bring anyone to the Lord 
Nobody can. That takes the Holy Spirit of God to turn hearts back to Him and change the backwardness that we have in our cities and in our nation, that God would do something uniquely powerful in the lives of people and call people back to Himself. They had to go through reform. So do we, both personally and collectively in our broader community all around us. I actually feel personally challenged when I think about this project. I feel personally challenged. I feel like I need to be like Nehemiah and say, Lord, forgive me of having a hard heart or a self-centered heart. Where sometimes, Lord, I'm not really in tune with your presence and your spirit and the importance of lives and people. Lord, please give me a burden for lost souls, not just for the church, but for every person I run into. Lord, do that soft work in my heart. That is the vision that we have here, that we draw closer to the Lord, that his kingdom be advanced, and that we see people come to know him. Yes, we need the extra building and all those other things, but at the end, the vision is about, as Pastor Marlowe said, it's about them. It's a vision for us. It's an opportunity for you and your families to grow closer to the Lord in this event. I would imagine those people that did that work, that actually physically were involved with it in those 52 days, I try to imagine how much their faith grew after they had committed themselves to that. It would have never have happened if they didn't buy into it and carry that weight and draw closer to the Lord through that collective experience. It's an opportunity for us. What an opportunity it is. This can only be done by the presence of the Lord. That's what it's all about. When I think about it, it's exciting. I think about it that this church was first started with nobody here. I kind of don't like using the adage, but it seems to work. Build it and they will come. Kind of a throwback to that old Kevin Costner movie. It seems to be a bit of our MO. I think and I believe very strongly that if we follow the Lord in his timing, in his timing, that God's going to do something that you and I can't possibly expect. It's going to be like building a wall in 52 days. Like walk, seeing the Red Sea part. That is our future. Faith expansion. It's not about expanding the building or raising money. It's about people coming to Christ in a supernatural way. That's what it is. And I want to commit myself to that in prayer. Yes, let's take a moment to say, God, yes, challenge my heart and how I can give. But Lord, please, at the same time, challenge my heart to draw closer to you through this experience. That we be drawn closer to each other through this experience. It's not about brick and mortar. It's about us binding together. Amen? So important for us to do. Yep. We are going to be moving forward right away with a lot of new information. We don't have it all yet, but we do realize that our initial estimate of $6 million would probably be a little short now. And we don't know what that number is, but we will find that out, and we'll deal with it then step by step as we find out as our Bell team brings that information forward to us. But regardless, let's just take it one step at a time and just follow the Lord day by day with this. And you let this be an opportunity for you and your families to draw closer to him and ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me not to only be involved, but Lord, how can I change my heart and draw closer to you through this experience as well? So important. Let's just take a moment and just give this to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we have in being in your house. Thank you, Lord, that we are a collective, Lord, 
and that we're following you. We just pray, Lord, for our community. We pray, Lord, for those in our lives at work and at school and at play and our neighbors. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be a light and a testimony of your grace. Lord, that we can operate in a way that's, Lord, natural and organic, but more than anything, empowered by your Holy Spirit to share your love, Lord, by our words, our actions, our behavior. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, towards you and towards each other. Lord, and in a world where the division is everywhere and it just seems to be saturating, Lord, I pray for your peace that transcends all understanding will be in our homes, in our hearts, and in this church family. In Jesus' name. That people will be able to experience your love and your peace, Lord, through our lives. And not just us, but all believing churches in our neighborhood, in our country. Lord, we can't change anyone's heart, but I thank you, Lord, that you can. Lord, you can bring a nation back to you, Lord. Back then, you can bring a nation back to you today. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity that we have. And we look forward to the future, realizing it will be exciting and scary at the same time. But I thank you, Lord, that you are in it. And Lord, help us to have the heart to hear your voice and to follow it for ourselves. And as a church family, bless our pastors, Lord, as well. Give them strength. Give them courage. And I thank you, Lord, that you work all things to the good of those who love you, Lord. And we love you, Lord, and we commit ourselves to you. And we are so glad that we are coming back together again here in this post-COVID period. Thank you, Lord. May we have friendship and tight relationships between ourselves. And I thank you, Lord, again, for your marvelous grace that you've died on the cross for our sins, that we can become your sons and daughters, Lord, and that you love us and that you carry us through sickness and you carry us through death. You carry us through us when we have difficulties at work and difficulties in relationship. When the money isn't there, Lord, you are faithful as we call out to you. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you will meet our needs as we trust you, our healer, our provider, our caregiver, our best friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.